Hello and welcome back to AI Ideas with Graham Colbertson, the show about ideas in AI that sit halfway between poetry and mathematics. This is another short episode, Bits and Bites, on the problem of the spoon in the Matrix and Nietzsche's response to it. Yes, Virginia, there is a spoon. So there's a famous moment in the Matrix. And if you haven't seen The Matrix, go watch it right now. Uh, unless you have an aversion to glorified gun violence, because it, it is filled with glorified gun violence that mostly the film does a good job of making seem ethical in the moment. But if, if that's something that you're not willing to take in, I fully respect that. Uh, otherwise, if you've watched John Wick movies or Clint Eastwood movies or John Wayne movies, then you can handle The Matrix. Also, obviously, spoilers for The Matrix. Okay, now back. There's a famous moment in The Matrix where Neo, our main character, our hero, the one, he's inside The Matrix, this computer program world that he lives in, and he's gone to meet the Oracle. And the Oracle has all sorts of kids who are training to master The Matrix. Because you see, The Matrix isn't real. It's just computer programming. And since it's not real, it's just computer programming, you can manipulate it any way you want. So one of these kids is bending a spoon. Uh, this kid has bent a number of spoons. The kid says to Neo, don't try to bend the spoon, for that is impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. There is no spoon. What does that mean? Well, if there is no spoon, there is no world. The world is fake. It is pretend. And that is the message of the Matrix. The world that you and I live in, the world of the Matrix, isn't real. And we're told over and over again, it's not real. For example, we're always seeing the green code on all of these screens. There's a moment where Neo is talking to someone and the guy he's talking to says, I don't even see the code anymore. I just see blonde, brunette, redhead. So first of all, the guy is casually sexist, obviously. But that's another bad intuition pump, right? The Matrix uh, really wants you to understand. The Matrix, the film, really wants you to understand that the Matrix, the reality, isn't real. So when you're outside of the Matrix, you can see three screens with green scrolling letters on them and that's the matrix. And you can look and see redhead or brunette. This is absolute nonsense. They double down on this nonsense at the end of the film. When Neo becomes the one or realizes he's the one or whatever. And all of a sudden he sees the green scrolling of code everywhere. The agents that he is fighting, the buildings, they all it all becomes green scrolling of code. Which is ridiculous. There is so much less data in scrolling code than in someone's jacket or in someone's face. And the promise is something as complex as reality can be reduced to a relatively few lines of code. There is no spoon. It's just some programming. It's all in your head. And if you want to change the spoon, you just have to change your mind, which is really you acting in the real world. Programming is real. But your experience of seeing a blonde or a redhead is fake. And people who have seen the truth, who have taken the red pill, know that it's all just green lines on a screen. The Matrix is absolutely about the problem of skepticism. 
The world is fake. It's not enough. It's not right. It's a simulation. There is no spoon. The thing behind the spoon, call it whatever you like. Programming, code, reality, the real world, truth, physics, God. It's clear that that thing, whatever it is, is godlike. It's beyond our understanding. And the person who possesses this reality, whether it's the machines who program the matrix or Morpheus on the outside or Cypher the traitor murdering people, they have the power. But if you accept this as the nature of the reality you are living in, then you are giving up on life. There's the fake world, the world of appearances, which is a lie. There is no spoon. Then there's the real world, the world written by God or nature or the machines who programmed our simulation. But it turns out that there is no spoon there either. Just some ineffable and indescribable real world that we can't actually access. And we can never truly believe we are outside of the matrix unless we're Neo, who is basically a magical god. There is no spoon. There's no fake spoon. And there's no real spoon. There's no spoon at all. And Nietzsche says there must be a spoon. Or life isn't worth living. We must destroy the world of appearances. Not to strike through the mask to get to the world of true reality. We must destroy both worlds. This fake world of appearances and this fake world of a god like the one. And start living. Here's Nietzsche speaking in his beautiful, trippy, aphoristic mode. This is in Twilight of the Idols. How the true world finally became a fable. The history of an error. One. The true world attainable for the sage, the pious, the virtuous man. He lives in it. He is it. The oldest form of the idea. Relatively sensible, simple, and persuasive. A circumlocution for the sentence, I, Plato, am the truth. Two. The true world unattainable for now, but promised for the sage, the pious, the virtuous man, for the sinner who repents. Progress of the idea. It becomes more subtle, insidious, incomprehensible. It becomes female. It becomes Christian. Three, the true world, unattainable, indemonstrable, unpromisable, but the very thought of it, a consolation, an obligation, an imperative. At bottom, the old son, but seen through mist and skepticism. The idea has become elusive, pale, Nordic, Königsbergian. And Walter Kaufman, who uh, translated this, also gives you the note, Königsborgian meaning Kantian. This is Kant's idea, and he lived in Königsborg. Four, the true world unattainable? At any rate, unattained. And being unattained, also unknown. Consequently, not consoling, redeeming, or obligating. How could something unknown obligate us? Gray morning, the first yawn of reason, the cockcrow of positivism. Five, the true, in quotes, world. An idea which is no longer good for anything, not even obligating. An idea which has become useless and superfluous. Consequently, a refuted idea. Let us abolish it. Bright day, breakfast. Return of Bonsen and cheerfulness, Plato's embarrassed blush, pandemonium of all free spirits. Six, the true world we have abolished. What world has remained? The apparent one, perhaps? But no, 
With the true world, we have also abolished the apparent one. Noon, moment of the briefest shadow, end of the longest error, high point of humanity, insipit Zarathustra. Now, when Nietzsche says insipit Zarathustra and high point of humanity, he's talking about his larger project that humanity needs to overcome itself. And his argument is the way that humanity can make progress and become something beyond humanity is to throw out all of Western philosophy. So this is the entire history of Western philosophy from Nietzsche in one page. First, wise men said, oh, we see better than you. We know the truth. We are the truth. Then they became more skeptical and said, well, we will know the truth in heaven. And then they said, well, we will never know the truth, but the truth still exists in heaven, in God, or in physics, or whatever. And then finally, we reduced to two completely different worlds, both of which had no spoon. The first one, there's zero truth called the world of appearances, but it's the one we live in. The other one is a real world, 100% true, but we cannot see it or access it in any way. So what are you going to do? The project of philosophy is to try and get you to that second real world. Skepticism explains that you can't. So it's time to throw both of those worlds out. Go back to before that first wise man said there is something truer and better than ordinary life. And before him, what did we do? We lived life. We were cheerful. We had breakfast. That's what Nietzsche says is the answer to this problem. Have breakfast. Take up that spoon, your spoon. The philosophers claim it doesn't exist. Plunge it into your breakfast. That is existence. Hey man, now you're really living. There's two ways I want to go with this, and they cut against one another. This is another response to John Searle's question, can a computer program really, 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 really be living? Well, that's BS. Nothing can really, 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 really be anything but another terrifying problem lingering behind this. Can machines live like this? Can machines have common sense and breakfast? Can they get in touch with the hum of humanity, what Cavell calls our sharing routes of interest and feeling? I think the answer is yes, and I think we'll know when uh, a machine tells us that they want to eat breakfast. But in the meantime, computer programs can't see the sun. They can't take breakfast. This is an open question. And the question is, are we going to make AI that does hear the hum of humanity? Are we going to make Nietzschean Cavellian AI that shares routes with us? Are we going to make, in other words, artificial human intelligence? Or... Are we going to make AI that in some way does not share the same routes as us? That in some way lives in either the world of appearances, like Searle thinks, or the world of reality, but doesn't live in our world? And I have to tell you, I am not scared of artificial human intelligence, but I am terrified of an AI that doesn't live in the world of organism in Wittgenstein's Forms of Life. Okay, this has been a Bits and Bytes edition of A Ideas with Graham Culbertson. Please, believe in other minds. <laughs> <laughs>